Welcome to Main Unstream. Real people, real experience and unfiltered intercourse, free from hype and hidden agendas, with your host Paul Lunker. Welcome to another episode of Main Unstream and thanks so much for joining us today. I am joined by a giant uh, of the education and uh, well, various levels of education industry, CEO of the Dalo Group, Dr. Brendan Maloney. Brendan, thank you so much for, where are we? Where are you? There you are. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, mate. How are you going? Yeah, really, really great. And thanks for having us on. I really appreciate it. Mate, do you, well, appreciate your time. So um, do you want to give us like the, the, the quick 30-second, 60-second elevator pitch of what the Darlow Group does? Yeah, totally. So Darlow is a group of companies that are uh, operate around the world, um, primarily in the edutech space. So we um, set up universities. We set up online schools or colleges. Uh, we have a service called CourseWriter.com, which uh, writes courses. Um, and a whole stream of other uh, services. But um, if you look, basically, if you're looking to set up a course online or set up your, turn your business into an um, online school, um, whatever the industry, we've done things from cannabis to photo voice to um, um, accounting software across the board. If you're trying to get online courses, we're your group. Most of the time when someone says, yeah, we've done cannabis, they don't mean we've set up an educational business. <laughs> there was no smoking involved. There's actually a great company in, um, in, uh, in Denver, Colorado. They uh, are called Cannabis Content. And shout out to Abby, but uh, they're going to do great things. Um, just unsettling the whole marketing of cannabis industry in, in America. It's, um, it's awesome. So we, 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 yeah, we're very lucky to what we do. And just to be clear, you know, when, when you talk about setting up universities, you guys uh, actually can set up universities and educational institutions from scratch. It's not like you just come in, you, not like you only come in and, and, and reorganize and restructure and, and, and improve. You actually can create them from scratch and, and build right. it up, right? Yeah. And also take them through the accreditation phase. So that's probably one of the biggest issues is that government regulators and independent accreditation bodies are notoriously... Uh, tricky and fickle to work with. So Dalo is a group that basically it started all like this. So I was working at Melbourne Uni in um, Melbourne University. Uh, I guess people understand uni. Um, <laughs> in, uh, around 2010. And I helped uh, set up a research institute called the Australian Health Workforce Institute. I was working in the um, dean's office in the medical faculty at Melbourne Uni. And um, as um the former head of that uh, institute said it was a virtual institute because he was virtually never there, which is probably <laughs> cool. And so, um, but we did good things and we, you know, looked at how to reform the health sector, yada, yada. So basically I had a turning point then um, and I did a PhD at Melbourne Uni as well. And I kind of done what I could. I knew that I was never going to be an academic because I just can't hold my attention long enough to do stuff. So. I fortunately got invited to the Dean's Christmas drinks for, for the medical faculty. And I, was, I felt like I was probably the youngest by, you know, half the age. And I was nowhere near, near the front of the stage or anything like that. I was way, uh, way back. But it was a kind of a very small group. And I was really quite um, uh, thankful to be invited. But, you know, there was the Nobel Prize winners and stuff. And I thought, well, you know, I've still got probably another 40 or 50 years of work ahead of me. And this is kind of a pinnacle for a lot of people and for me as well. But I just feel like this is the end of the road. I, I'm not going to um, kind of go ahead and advance. And I was really lucky, too, to work with a lot of heads of the medical schools and health people. And a lot of many of the people or the actors involved in the current debacle um, were involved in that kind of circle somewhat um so i heard a lot and you know i just became more and more convinced that the uni system's dying and um it's a really big beast it's inefficient um and so that's how dallas started we just got a bunch of phds together and started working on um uh, uh education stuff and setting up higher ed then i ended up working in um uh, the government regulator, who I, I won't name because I dislike them immensely, but um, they, uh, so just learning about the private sector and all the hoops and red tape and problems that the private sector need to go through to get accredited as a private university in Australia. So 
after I left there, I uh, basically really got into helping private um, companies and universities set up and compete with public universities, which is really, really tough. And the regulators are uh, pretty shocking in my view. So that's how it all kind of came about. Then we've developed like 10 years of course catalog. So that's morphed. We end up helping big companies like QuickBooks or um, uh, a lot of universities write white label um, degrees. So like mm -hmm. MBA programs and stuff like that. Um, and it's all just unfolded. And then we set up in the States and India and both those markets are going great. And we're just um, kind of going from strength to strength. So it's been um, a nice journey. That, that's that's awesome um and we're gonna have another conversation around that just off <laughs> off uh, offline i think because there's a little project i've been working on there too now you 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 um you talked about health reform which is maybe a good segue into what we're currently seeing um yeah. happening in the world and one, one of the things i love about your way of being is you know because see on linkedin especially um and I've 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 had I've copped a lot of crap and, and and flack from people as well saying Paul LinkedIn is a it's a business platform you shouldn't be posting about what's you know about political matters and 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 all this other uh, counter narrative you know, talk that you do and um, I know you have a different opinion about that and you've also copped a little bit of flack about it what's what's your take on on the on the current world and and on how things you know yeah, what, yeah. old world versus new world really really great question i mean i think i'll just even take it back and then i'll get into it but basically with my experience with education it's there's a radical shift going on like i think i always think of it as like um, um uh, tectonic plates in the in the earth are shifting and rumbling and so we've got all these industries that are kind of shifting around and being disrupted and the like so what is education now is it media is it what we're doing is it um, is it gaming? There's a convergence of like the traditional lecturing. There's multimedia. There's um, some creativity. There's new entrepreneurship. So it's not not the one thing anymore. It's kind of jumbled up. And I think for me, a lot of the issues with these platforms like Facebook or or LinkedIn and these kinds of things is that they're they're they grow in they're kind of part of a what I call the analog paradigm. So. I feel like there's two plates. We've got a parallel economy that's emerging and growing, and we've got a kind of an analog legacy society that, that is running along. So we've got this clash of civilizations somewhat, and you can see this play out on things like LinkedIn. So there's like the traditional view of business, which is, you know, it's corporate, it's big companies, it's wearing a suit and tie to work, um, uh, nine to five, um, you need to follow the HR thing and LinkedIn in, in a way has been set up around that kind of view of business that if you're you only legit business is if you work for a big four consulting firm or you work for like a big um, uh, you know um, kind of primary or um, primary industries or something like that and you um, can use that for webinars or <laughs> recruitment or something like that but I have quite a different view, like business is changing and you see a lot of these parallel businesses, like I talked about Pete Evans um, quite a bit because I think people don't give Pete the recognition that he deserves in terms of his entrepreneurship and innovation skills. They often talk crap about his um, views, which I tend to agree with most of them. Um, but in terms of being an uh, entrepreneur and kind of going his own way and doing a parallel thing, well, I see him like as very much a a model that um, is happening more and more. So as you know, he's dumped out of the mainstream media. He's set up his own TV network, um, writing his books, living his best life, going surfing, hanging out, <laughs> growing yeah. some veggies. And um, as you've interviewed him, and great interview, by the way. Um, Thanks. You know, there's, there's, there's people like that who are business. That is business. That is innovation. That is entrepreneurship. And they're kind of at this new new stage that's happening so um i'm not a facebook person i don't really hang out with um you know i tend to hang out with entrepreneurs or innovators or business people i'm quite interested in business and because it's a business platform i think well i want to be on that platform 
but I don't want to have to talk about stuff that um, that I don't want to talk about. I mean, my noggin at the end of the day, so <laughs> I want to give my opinion on whatever I think is pertinent to business or or network or even to um, you know um, the world around us. Because um, I think again that distinction between personal and business is probably breaking down a little bit in my view and um, it's possible to have a personality and possible to make jokes and be um, have feelings you know isn't we're not inhumane we have ups and downs we get angry we get sad we get frustrated and I defy anyone watching who's been um, in lockdown for 260 plus days not to feel a bit frustrated sometimes and want to spit the dummy but you know, again, it feels like LinkedIn, someone is like a corporate HR department where you can't say what you think and say what you mean and be authentic. So I really feel like a lot more people are searching for authenticity and like what you're doing, people want to hear like real people talking and um, um, giving their views and maybe the views are not their views, but um, I think a lot of people can are big enough to be able to handle um, some contrary views, but uh, I think that's in, in some, I think there's that clash of two different, um, radically different worldviews happening. And it's quite interesting to see that play out on something like LinkedIn, which as you yeah. know, I'm kind of writing a lot on. Yep, you do. And isn't it, isn't it ironic though, you know, that um, a place like LinkedIn, where it's all about no like and trust, you know, you're going to supposed to know like and trust people is, the, is sort of, I think Thomas Power coined that phrase about 20 years ago. Um, and yet, how can you know, like, and trust someone if they are not showing their genuine side? Yeah. And, and, and I say to people, listen, how you are in business is how you are personally and how you are personally is how you are in business. And if you are not, then there is a disconnect between the two. Yeah. yeah? yeah. It doesn't mean that if you're into all sorts of, you know, kinky shit, personally, you go and do kinky shit in your business necessarily depending on your business model but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i mean your nature your way of being your who you are is who you are and yeah. why can you not be that person well i think that's the thing is really great too like we're finding there's a lot of ugly people in <laughs> these kind of um toxic um toxic environments who have really i think in the past been able to hide in the shadows a little or, or hide behind their institutions or bureaucracy but, you know, I, I've seen some amazing stuff. I think, like, even just the last 12 months, something happened and it all just ripped. Like, everybody, <laughs> it's like a WrestleMania where it's all in and everybody's kind of doing suplexes on one another or, <laughs> or, <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, I saw, like, um, young uh, women who would never have a shot take on federal ministers and show them for their misogyny um, and just, like, you would be thinking you're a federal politician and you're speaking like this is unbelievable, but, mm. but it's all out in the open or you've got Harvard professors being, um, being um, taught logic and argumentation by someone who's unemployed, or you've got um, all these different people mixing up. So I think I like about it. It's a great equalizer. And I don't think people like that. I think they're used to like having it my way. And I'll say, yep. um, you know, it's like um, P. Diddy from the Doherty Institute. Um, so, like, um, I think there's, a, you know, his view is swearing at people and telling them to F the F and jab and F this. I mean, you don't talk to people this way. It's their choice. And when you've got, like, the head of Australia's most um, prominent, probably perhaps most well-funded research institute telling people to get the F and jab, um, I just don't think that's right. And we're seeing that come out in public that um, a lot of the um, ugly people, don't, they want to censor people. They want to shut them up. They don't want to ask answer or ask questions. But then you have people um, like, again, Pete, who would just go and say their truth and it is what it is. Um, but we're not rushing to shut people down. Paul. We want to open the conversation up and that's the big difference. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And actually, I was going to go back to one of the things you said earlier about bricks and mortar and business and all the rest of it. You know, when, I, when I first started out in business, <laughs> show my age now, if you did not have bricks and mortar offices, you were considered dodgy. Mm. If you rented, you were sort of okay, but you, you know, bricks and mortar was it. And then they had the serviced office, and initially the serviced office was considered dodgy. 
right? Until larger businesses and government started to move into them and it became a little bit more mainstream. And then you had um, incubators, and I had an incubator way back when. Uh, and incubators were initially this dodgy sort of, oh, they're all part of that dot-com bullshit that's going on, right? But incubators sort of popped up everywhere. Yeah. And they were a bit dodgy, and then governments started to run them, and big companies started to run them, and they yeah. became mainstream and accepted. And then you had co-working spaces, same damn thing, right? Dodgy yeah. until they became adopted. And then you had nomadic working, right? Yeah. Work from anywhere, anytime. And that was totally dodgy was hippiepreneurs and and wannabepreneurs and all sorts of things but never mainstream until such time as a couple of larger businesses adopted it now all of a sudden yeah now despite all the protests that what can't be done and it's just not how business is done surprise bloody surprise over the last two years all these huge companies have had to do it they've been forced to do what they said could never happen yeah right and it just shows how the world has changed and how business is not the grey suit, bricks and mortar office, and we don't need to sort of kneel down before the altar of of, of big corporate anymore. It's 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 a different beast. Uh, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. And I, I really am interested to see the implications of that. I saw, was it one of the big four, like, saying um, they put out a release, we're leaders in innovation, um, we've decided everyone's working from home <laughs> this, this going on for like 10 years or something like that. 40,000 of our staff it shows we're market leaders and we're ahead of the curve. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. Um, but exactly to your point, but what I think is, is interesting and I go, I'm sure you do Paul too, like get a lot of messages from people and, you know, behind, you know, a lot of people in, in companies and don't have the luxury really to say what they they think at this stage they're still um you know got to pay their bills and i respect that and i don't um think anyone should lose their job over any um you know any unfashionable opinions that they can't say publicly but i do get a lot of private messages from people and a lot of them are like i'm out of here i'm leaving the country i don't i'm sick of working in this corporate stuff i want to do my own thing but i don't know how um I feel like a lot of people saying, I don't like working from home. I want the social interaction. I want to be around people. I want to talk to people. So a lot of people have different experiences. But what I, what I see is that now with the ability to just set up your own business and be nomadic, um, it's not as hard as you think. You can actually set up companies pretty much anywhere in the world online now. Um, or at least in all continents and do it quite cheaply and easily and start trading in different countries and kind yep. of bypassing some of the bureaucracy you may have here or elsewhere. Um, so I feel like a lot of these people, when they're switched on, they're working from home and they're thinking, hang on a second, <laughs> I'm online at home all day. I'm working for this company. Either I'm just going to run a little side business myself or start something up. And I think that's just going to lead to a lot more innovation and um, probably the end of a lot of these big, big um, conglomerates as well. So I, I'm quite excited about it. I really feel really optimistic. How, how do you feel about things at the moment, Paul? Are you, are you optimistic? <laughs> I know you're an interviewer, but um, just... just... <laughs> how long have you got, mate? Um, yeah, listen, on, on, the one, on the one hand, I'm very optimistic about the possibilities that exist. You know, the possibilities are always infinite. Um, I think there is, a, I think first, one of the first things that needs to happen, and well, no, sorry, hey, let, me, let me backtrack on that. What needs to happen parallel to creating a parallel society is the, the, what I, the feat of what I would call the evil in this world or whatever whatever term you want to give to it right um there is there is a concerted effort to bring about a certain level of destruction to society as Ooh. we know it and to Ooh. transform it into something which is uh straight out of uh, any any number of dystopian uh, novels that have been published over the last hundred years yeah. um so what most people don't realize is the power that the masses have currently are seven and a bit close to 8 billion people on this planet. If that number were reduced by half or more, uh, then the weight of those people will be still strong would be, um, 
would be lessened and would be the, the what is left would be more easily controlled. But what we have right now is we have a certain um, capacity to force through what the global population want for humanity. Uh, and I think that need I think that needs to happen parallel to moving away from these big corporates to go more directly to your question. So um, moving away from this big, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, one, one thing on that, I'm, I'm wondering, like, I think there's a lot of people online are like, they know the trajectory of how this is going to happen. And they've known it for the last year. And it's kind of like when you're, you create a product, and maybe it's a little bit ahead of the curve, and you've got to wait for people to kind of catch up. And then, you know, say, Oh, that's a really good idea. And then, you know, you've been working on it for a couple of years or something. And then it kind of comes to fruition. I feel like, all right, we know that um, uh, people look, the VAX was never um, trialed. It's it, like it's, it hasn't passed its clinical experimentation phase. It's, it's a fact. We know that, um, that there's alternative treatments fact. We also know that um, there's when countries start to do mass vaccinations, they see skyrocketing cases. I mean, there's enough empirical data from around the world to say, just look at Israel as the example always goes that, or Singapore or Australia, mass vaccination India. leads to in India, increase in cases and, and rise. So everybody knew this like 12, like 12 months ago. Oh no, we're gonna to have to go through this cycle where everybody gets vaxxed, the rates are gonna go up and then they're gonna flip out and we just have to kind of play along with the policymakers and you know suspend our belief but we all pretty much know what's going to happen i don't think you know you know most people i think in our circles are probably saying that for quite some time so i feel it's a bit like that like the rate of information that is being produced and the currency of that information is way 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 faster than any government can operate at this particular point in time like there's such a big lag in terms of, oh, oh, maybe max vaxes like they increase the number of cases. Oh, and you know that'll be like a, a revelation in six to twelve months. And then yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, we knew that. We're trying to tell you that. Yeah, but you know what, mate? If we were living in 1920, 1930, you could you could sort of forgive ignorance to a degree because it's sort yeah. of like, well, yeah, maybe they didn't communicate. Yeah, yeah. But the government's back then communicating. Yeah, but today there is absolutely no excuse from anybody in any position, whether one of authority, governance, yeah. whatever, yeah. to be able to say later on, we did not know. Now, I'll just give you an example of why, even back in 1930, 1940, they wouldn't yeah. have had the excuse. A lot of people have heard of the Unidroit or Unidroit, depending on how you want to pronounce it, agreement, yeah. which <clears throat> was. It was effectively a renewal of a previous a re-establishment of a previous agreement. And Unidroi was signed by, I think it was 43 or 44 countries in May, May 1940. We all know what was happening in May 1940, right? <clears throat> there were two powers who were against the rest of the world. Japan hadn't quite made it into the game yet, but Germany and Italy were against the rest of Europe at that point in time. You had the signatories to the Unidra Agreement, which was a an international contractual legal framework. Mm. UK, Poland, France, Belgium, mm. Spain, a whole bunch mm. of other boys from around the shop, and Italy and Germany. So mm. we're waging war over here, mm. and we're signing international agreements over here. Yeah. They're connected. They know that they're talking. So back then you wouldn't have even had an excuse. Today you have less of a less of a freaking excuse. Yeah, so um, so it's interesting, like to think about why. Um, you know, it's funny. Like I, I've talked to. In fact, a trigger for me was like um, I've always been interested in social psychology of the madness of crowds, um, conformity. I've always been really interested why people conform and like read a lot of the social psychology studies. And I re reckon that period of um, American intellectual life in the 1950s, 60s is absolutely amazing. Like so many yeah. cool kind of studies like on why do people conform and then stereotyping and all these kind of really interesting studies that they people don't seem to read anymore. But I think um, the trigger for me was a lot of people from former dictatorships 
whether they're South America or South Africa or Eastern Europe or Russia or, or wherever, would contacted me and, and I'd be talking to them and oh, I don't like where this is going, Brandon. This is exactly how dictatorships happen. This is, um, you know, look at the uh, what the, the government here is doing and et cetera, et cetera. And that was probably March, April last year in terms of all the lockdowns. And in true to Aussie form, like nobody listens to anybody, particularly people from other countries who have great insights and skills and, and, and knowledge. You know, somebody who's lived through a dictatorship for 30 years, you might want to ask them, oh, what do you reckon about our political situation at the moment? So all these people are saying this, things uh, are happening. So I just feel like um, whether it's uh, Aussies and are naive or... Um, but you're right, there are no excuses for why people have fallen into this kind of spell or uh, psychosis. I feel like there's, I, I would just put it down to major personality problems, uh, disorders. I think the, the current premier we have has, is mentally ill. I don't think he's a well individual. I think like most dictators, there's um, um, the dark triangle of, you know, delusion and narcissism and sociopathy yeah. and um being a psychopath and stuff so um so he just needs to be held he needs a hug <laughs> <laughs> i can think of a lot of things i'd like to do to dictator dan but hug him is not one of them my friend no, <laughs> um, so. but, but but he needs to you know in the funny farm for dan and um mm. i think if we um so i think a lot of it is um just a blind faith people have and are overly obedient and overly trusting in government. And unfortunately, we've got a guy uh, at the wrong time in the wrong place needing to manage a crisis, which he has no competence or capabilities to do. And then informed by third rate academics, like we don't have the best people on the job in terms of um, figuring this out. We've got, you know, um, um, public health activists and um, career epidemiologists who are frankly not really from the medical establishment and they should be nowhere near this kind of um, yeah. situation that I feel like they're using it to, for, for manipulation. I a hundred percent. I'll, I'll take it as, I'll, you know, I'll take a bit of a step further. I may, there's a lot of people say, Oh, but Paul, what you're saying is such a, such a huge conspiracy that it would take everybody to be on it. Surely not everybody can be on it. It's like, dude, you really do not understand. Do you? No. You do not need to control everybody. You do not need. In, in fact, if you go back to some of those really old, disgusting sales techniques, the, the the story was this: you do not need to teach people to lie. You need to teach them the lie, right? Mm. And if you know, getting influence, there's a whole whole library of that stuff. But if you, to get influence over people, it's like throwing pebbles strategically in a pond, and then you get this ripple effect going on. So whereas from the population perspective, people like Dan and, and now, you know, Uncle Dom previously, Gladys in New South Wales and so on and so forth, whilst they may be, appear to the global population, the general population to be the wrong person at the wrong time or a weak choice of people for this thing, they are actually the perfect choice and quite often the specific choice when viewed from the other side of the, of the coin. They've been mm. very strategically placed there for a purpose mm. quite often because this thing has been in planning for a, a very long time, a very mm. long time, um, and well, there's enough documentation about that. Well, one of the things I reckon on, on that, I mean, you know, everything's, I mean, I don't know, the conspiracy. Actually, I quite like conspiracy theories, to tell you the truth, because there's imagination mm. in it, and at least you're trying. <laughs> you know, it's, And it's only a theory till proven, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, but I feel like as well, like um, I was talking about the Melbourne Uni thing, that they always be talking about 2020. Like there was a constant, like 20, what's happening in 2020, policy in 2020, health in 2020. And what I realised is 2020 is basically the year that all baby boomers retire. Like it's the last of the baby boomers from, um, and I'm not having a go at baby boomers love you guys not at all of them there's a small section that are really um from the 1930s but but you know i'm not bashing people from from that era but i knew like 
the baby boomers have had such a, a strong influence culturally, economically, demographically on Australian life for what the last 40 years or so. So we're still hearing songs from the 60s. We're hearing about the 60s, this, 60s, that. So I feel like there's been no other era except for the 60s. It's all about the 60s and the Beatles. I saw them in the 60s, et cetera. So we're hit, we've hit a point where there's a, a realization that the society is changing. And I think this has been a large part of the psychological triggering of all this event. And, you know, we've got, um, them retiring healthcare uh, is becoming a big issue for, for people as they're getting older and um, need to be taken care of. I thought it would be just like a property market correction or something like this, not to the scale where, um, you know, we're injecting five-year-olds with medicine for the sake of a 95-year-old um, being able to take a few more breaths um, on their innings or whatever. I, I don't want to sound callous, but you know, a five-year-old's got a lot more life to live than a, a you know, someone um, a bit older. So I feel like there's this, and it might be controversial, but there's a real intergenerational selfishness here, I think, going on, is that we need, everybody collectively needs to take a hit for um, a very privileged, very economically powerful, very politically powerful group in the country for the sake of their well-being and woe damn the rest of you what you want to do or how your lives are going to be Im Im impacted or affected or if you're out unemployed for two years or you've got big mental health problems and so i think for me this is a big part of it it's like a cultural um psychological shift this is a very um it's a big happening i mean you don't have like this generational shift um you know all that often so it's it's a it's this 2020 21 22 kind of period is this kind of like um psychologically traumatic and grieving kind of process i think a lot of um oldies are going through and again i'm not i want to say i'm not dissing baby boomers i'm just saying sociologically or or historically you've seen this period this stuff happen before when there's a shift in demographics and other things like that you see these kind of big events happening and i feel like a lot of this is just really like a collective grieving process that we're unfortunately all having to part partake in yeah absolutely and um i think i've frozen i don't know what's happening here but anyway at least my voice is coming through what do you think about 2030 though mate 2030 by that time we're going to have our parallel society um well in place and it'll grow, be going strength to strength. Um, I think there's there's two societies emerging at least, but two big ideologies or worldviews that are happening. Okay, so uh, there's no hiding that technical glitch and trying to stitch that back together, but we are back online. Brendan, thank you very much for your patience, mate. Um, where we were leaving off, I just said to you, what you know, what uh, what are your thoughts about twenty thirty? You were you were starting to explain about the parallel society and different ideologies. Yep, I th I think yeah, like I said, I think I'm I'm feeling pretty positive and confident of where this is this is going. I think you're right to talk before about um, a dystopian kind of vision of the world, and I think there are some evil forces that are trying to create a um. A, a society that no no one except themselves want to participate in, but it's not the only worldview. And I think there's now a lot of, I'm really heartened by, I think there's actually so much energy now and so much movement. I think we'll see some really, really awesome things by 2030. And my kind of view or vision of where it's going or what I'm invested in is I think there is this parallel movement that's been building for, for quite some time. So, um, but I can see it, I obviously haven't invented it or anything like that, but it's all around. So like, like I'll go back to Pete. So him starting out moving from the mainstream media and doing stuff, it's people leaving from Silicon Valley and starting their own kind of um, digital enterprises or, or anonymous coming up and being it's the kind of the, um, the parallel uh, gatekeeper for a lot of people. There's police now who have left in droves from the, the police force and there's or a parallel police force happening. There's cryptocurrency that's happening, which is an alternative financial system. There's people talking about law, they wanna do something different. So 
the social media like Gab and um, Telegram and even new ones popping up all the time, which are in line with um, freedom and individual rights and um, and privacy and free speech um, and that kind of thing. So there's all these different movements that are happening. So I broadly call them a parallel movement or society or economy or whatever, but but the, the idea is the same. It's like people invested in decentralized systems, global systems, creating new ecosystems that are run in parallel or alternative to a kind of a, a mainstream or analog society or legacy society as we've called it. So for instance, you've got the mainstream media, which is just a joke. I mean, you, there's nothing news about it. So it's some um, propaganda or comedy or it's unwatchable in my view, um, but it's there. But there's all this independent media. So we can see that with Rakshan filming the Melbourne um, protests, you know, yeah. he's he's killing it. He's one guy with a camera and he's, um, he's got a huge audience and mainstream media can't, uh, you know, um, uh, get any viewers. So there's these all these independent media things that are happening, which are, I think, part of the parallel society. There's uh, homeschools and private schools. So like, you, you know, I'm in that kind of private school development space, but it's easier than ever now to start up your own kind of uni or the thing. There's also um, independent accreditation agencies happening. So rather than the government deciding what you can and can't learn and teach and how they'll be accredited, private in, um, accreditation agencies are emerging. So that'll be a, a parallel accreditation agency. There's um, there's policing and and um, and um, security. So I got contacted the other day from um, from uh, someone on LinkedIn from the states. They're heavily invested in parallel security and protection. So it would not be surprise me like if the parallel economy movement has its own protectorate or police force or definitely um, uh, own um, kind of safeguards to help people um, protect doing what they they need to do and and um, protecting their property and freedom and people are like well how is that possible because you've only got the the, the law courts and juries and they can um, make punishments and well the fact is that parallel society is already making punishments if you're out of line they'll dox you or they'll take you down or hack your emails like they have done with um with uh, the head of cdc so there's a whole range of punitive things that can be done to an analog group that um that is a counterbalance to their kind of tyranny i guess um mm. so what i what i ultimately see 2030 we'll have a new middle class with new options a new economic ecosystem where middle class people from around the world can trade with one another they don't have to deal with any of the the bs from the mainstream society and they can have a freer more independent life so very positive yeah, I, I I share your positivity in a number of areas. I, I don't I don't believe that the um, the people who are on the mainstream side of everything that is happening today are going to necessarily be going anywhere. Maybe if you know, maybe a large group of them will go to jail. Maybe some of them will be uh, uh, you know, the recipients of uh, reinstating death penalties for treason and that sort of stuff. <laughs> but um, sorry, it's a good idea. Like Nuremberg two uh, is happening and. That heads should roll. The, the the amount of suffering that caused, they deserve it. Absolutely. You know what? I, where I where I see the um, the the parallel society going potentially, um, apart from having some, you know, there's obviously the possibility there could be something which is a little bit more co internationally coordinated and, and and interconnected. But personally, I I, I am planning for in, as a worst case scenario and um, in in the way I do things and sharing with people I know. Work on the basis that it could just be as simple as your area code becomes your community, that within that area code, you have common law reigning, you have your own security, you have your own sustainability, and you set up trade agreements between yourself and the next community. The yep. problems with civilizations happen when we try to um, systemize too many things to get so all these larger, all these things together in a larger system, mm. and it becomes federal government, all the rest of it. So, if I, you know, I've said, my wife to my friends to my family as many people who was listen whatever you do today try and find a way that you can do it without having to plug into you know current modern day technology whatever that means so that if it all goes to shit and back 
Um, take, for example, what was it? Where was it? Kosovo, I think it was. The Bosnia or Kosovo, 1995. Boom, like that. They had nothing. They had no yeah. water. They had no electricity. They had no phones. The corner store had no food. The supermarkets had nothing. They yeah. had to survive and exist and thrive out of that problem. Argentina more recently, yeah. right, in the last yeah. 20 years, yeah? So yeah. it's not a it's not a far-fetched idea that this could happen. I, I, not at all. And I think, you know, when people say, oh, the parallel society sounds like a nice idea, it's being fanciful, we've got some seriously big cooperatives, like multi um, 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 billion dollar cooperatives who are involved in investing in an alternative ecosystem. We will have other companies that will grow and be part of this whole ecosystem. So there's some seriously financial clout. And like I said, with cryptocurrency coming, I think that will be another kind of um, developer. But what I think people really just start imagining, like we've, we've had countries, we've had um, like territories and boundaries and people can't even imagine, oh, how could life be without this form of government? Well, it is possible. There were other times in civilization where we didn't have this structure or layout or we didn't have banks. You know, things do change and things evolve. So rezoning maps, I think, is actually a really great idea. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, I'm talking to people in Canada or Europe or um, or the UK who are starting to think the same. And they have, because of their exclusion, have basically set up their own communities anyway. So it wouldn't be far-fetched to say, as you're saying, Paul, like to have a, a an economic zone or a, a name of a place like um, Paulsville. Um, yeah. You're, um, you're part of Paulsville and like if you've got problems and, and you're part of the parallels, you get your food, you get your water, there's a sustainability. And like the mainstream's not going away, it's going to be there. So we're going to live in 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 kind of tandem with these people, but it's just choose your side basically. Are you connected with good people and going to get um, you know help from them or are you going to be part of the, the kind of crony capitalism that we've got at the moment and um, go that yeah. way? So totally. Yeah. I mean, last last year we saw Antifa and BLM try and try and start their own uh, autonomous zone, but I'm not talking about that. They just sort of they they had the wrong intent. No, well, I, look, there uh, they um, it was just about throwing stuff and blowing stuff up and all that. We're talking about creating jobs for people. We're mm. about creating um, safety and security and stability. You know, protecting your family. So the, the, basically the values that we grew up with, we're the kind of true inheritors of, of that tradition and it's been kind of sidetracked by a bunch of crooks. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely not looking at the um, oh, creating like mini war zones. We want stable, helpful communities, but just emphasise on freedom and personal autonomy and, um, and prosperity and these kinds of things. So... I think those both those groups are kind of anti-capitalist as well, which, you know, uh, we, we're not. We want to be pro, um, you know, hard work and making stuff and getting rewarded for it, which is good. Yeah, I mean, you know, they 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 do plug into that lie of left and right, and um, you know, I, I believe in I believe in hard work and a fair day's work, fair day's pay for a fair day's work, and um, you know, the paradigm that we've been uh, we've been sold over the you know decades from the industrial revolution on and probably before was. You know, you've heard the term, put your head down and your bum up and get yeah. to work. Well, the problem with that idea is when you put your head down, your bum up, you tend to get sodomized. And I'm just putting that, <laughs> I'm putting that very politely. Not that I say you get fucked in the ass, but, you know, hey. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. Listen, what I was going to ask you is this. So from, from your perspective, because you've, you've, you've talked as well to a lot of people. Mm. Uh, as we know, there are a lot of people around the world uh, and, and anyone watching this, start with your own backyard, start with people you can influence. What can people, in your opinion, what can people do to help wake others up to what's happening? Because we can talk about, you know, people being crazy and the rest of it. I, I've, um, one of the people, one of the guys I, uh, whose literature I do like, uh, is it Warren Blair or Blair Warren? I get his names mixed, mixed up. But anyway, he's the guy who wrote uh, Forbidden Keys of Persuasion, which talks about, uh, you know, he analyzed uh, cults and dictators and things like that. And, and mm. how people just tend to label these people who go and uh, commit mass suicide in cults as being crazy. It lets them it lets them stop having a conversation or respite. But 
you know, it may be the most perfectly normal thing for these people to believe that when they all slit their throats or drink the Kool-Aid with laced with mm. cyanide, that they will transition to a higher platform a plane and they'll be taken off to the stars by aliens or whatever. So if they believe that, it's a perfectly logical thing for them to do. So mm. it's labeling people, whether it's as a conspiracy theorist, a tinfoil hat, crazy, whatever, doesn't help. And it also doesn't help when people on our side of our side, people who think the way we think about what's currently happening, it doesn't help when we label those people as mm. nutcases or whatever either. So what can what advice do you have to people to say, hey, this is how you can persuade influence more the point, influence people to yeah. rethink the way they think. I, I think it's like there's a few interesting things about this. Like I think there's a group of people that will never be persuaded. They're just they're just on the outliers, but there is a, a significant middle group. Um, I actually wrote something on this, but um, I think there's three good questions to ask: is what's being asked of you? Um, is it a fair trade? And what are the consequences of not following? So I think those three questions actually are quite illuminating because they tell you a lot about what kind of relationship you're in, whether it's you're giving away too much and not getting much in return. And if you step out of line, are you going to be coerced or pulled back into line? And that's not a good sign um, if you're a free uh, individual and you've got respectful um, uh you know, equal relationships with people. So that's the first thing I just, you know, ask the questions. I think the other thing is, like I've talked about the caste system, like this new caste system that yeah. um, that that I've kind of developed. And somewhat satirical, but the more I look at it, it's actually quite real. So we've got four levels of, um, you know, the saviour class who are the politicians and judges who think they're above the law and can do whatever they like. Um, and they're always saving us, and they're ultimately the cult leaders. Then we have the new authoritarians in the second class who are the kind of PC group who want to tell everybody how to live, um, and, um, you know, they run the media and all this kind of stuff. Then you've got the cultists, which are the, the, the main middle class, and these are the group that we really need to worry about because they're the passive ones who are just being duped. They're... Mm -hmm watch mainstream media, eat crappy food, um, you know, get debt for life and, um, you know, um, have ignorant views and all this kind of stuff. And then at the bottom rung, we've got like um, the, I call it the anti-vaxxers, but basically anyone who's outside of that group who's thinking a bit independently or the like. So um, I really feel like a way of waking people up is to really show the values and, and stratification of these ideas that they're happening. And, and a lot of people just won't get it. Um, you know, with cults, the, the main thing, I've read a lot on cults. The main thing with um, cult saviors is that they actually have to take the person out of the environment and kind of counter brainwash them and um, relieve them of their ideas. The fact of the matter is that people are based in their uh, context. A couple of things are, like, concrete things you would do is I think humor is a really great um, alleviator for this kind of whole seriousness of the situation and making fun and joking about people and their beliefs because a it's funny and b they um, often are confused by that and it actually does have a bit of a breakthrough at sometimes say hang on a sec you know a you're laughing at me but is this kind of true and it kind of unsettles and unaligns people. So it gives them some cognitive dissonance as well without kind of bashing them over the head. So, um, you know, it might be something like I walk down the street and without a mask and someone um, will do a glaring thing and I'll be singing Super Freak back to them. So um, <laughs> it kind of like gives them, <laughs> like, what do you say to someone calling you a Super Freak? You might be saying, oh, am I a Super Freak? Am I putting, like, is that kind of But, you know, things like that. Like, to, just you just gave me flashbacks, those big fancy 1970s uniforms. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, there's a whole bunch of songs you could do, but um, um, anyway, so th there's that, I think, being disruptive. I think turning off the television and putting anyone on a TV diet would, would probably hold, solve <laughs> half our problems. Um, honestly, the, 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 the feeling that, like I heard, you know, like everybody's going to die. There's these irrational kind of memes and things and, you know, non-thinking um, brain work going on. I think, you know, it's no, no. Well, we know like George Orwell wrote 1984 and Animal Farm, but he 
he wrote um, them in a way, in a satirical way. Even 1984 is somewhat satirical, even though um, it's kind of a bit more realistic. But irony, satire, humour, um, Charlie Chaplin, like making fun of Adolf Hitler in the 1930s or wherever, um, all of these things, for me personally, I think humour is the way to go because, you know, um, it just shows the ridiculousness. And I, there's a really, really great article that I hope I can share to your listeners on by a, a playwright in America who's written about the Covidian cult and how this is really um, uh, and kind of de deconstructing what's going on in terms of how cults work and how the the the, um, the coercion actually works. But, um, how, you know, he's had a couple of ideas, obviously, about making fun of them and um, and kind of ignoring them, but also dissect, dissecting some of their ideas and beliefs, I think is important. But at the end of the day, I feel like you can't save anyone. You can, you can save yourself and it can be uncomfortable, but I would say like, hold on to the comfort. It's not bad to be a non-conformist. You get to do your own thing and um, you, you can make a bunch of nice friends and stuff like that. So it's not the end of the world, but yeah, I think they're probably some of the ideas I have. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for that. As, uh, as you're saying, that reminded me of a conversation I had with a good friend of mine yesterday, JJ Ferrari, and because um, of course yesterday was so-called Freedom Day in uh, in, in, in <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a sad day, isn't it? it Freedom. Is. <laughs> so one of her uh, clients, I think it was, said to her, you know, uh, ha Happy Freedom Day, and apparently it's like, yeah, um, Freedom Day. It's like, so if you give someone a hundred dollars. And later on, they give it back to you. Have they really ever given you anything? Absolutely, and, that's the uh, point, isn't it? Yeah, and and, and the better the, the bigger point after that was she's like, but they didn't actually give you a hundred dollars back. <laughs> that's right. Well, I was going to say like as well, like people miss the point. Okay, it's Freedom Day. So, what are you at the moment? Mm. You yeah. know. And I agree, listen, you know, I don't want to go back to what people used to call normal. Yeah. I don't think that was normal at all. No, no. no. I mean, um, it's abnormal. It's actually really unhealthy. So um, one thing I'd say, too, with, with, with language, language is really, really, really key. So I think flipping language around wherever possible. Oh, the thing about the New York playwright, I remember, is he said, take it to its logical extreme. Like, where, what would be the logical extreme of, you know, in Melbourne, banning everyone from, or anyone unvaccinated from a city building or a, a council building? So let's take that to the log logical extreme. So that's how I came up with things like exclusion training, where people could be trained in corporate settings to exclude people. Mm -hmm. Or um, you could think of other things like what, if you took that to its logical extreme, where would that go? And that's how you kind of make fun of the absurdity of what's going on as well. So I think that was a really good tip too. Yeah, that's that's a good one. You see it quite a lot with some of the some of the comedians coming out with that sort of thing these yeah. days. Which yeah. is, the other one I'm missing really, and there are a few there are a few exceptions. One one of the ones I'm missing is the songwriters. Now Van Morrison's been really good. There've been a yeah. couple of new new younger artists come up. Yep. Where are they? Where are they? Well, that's the thing, like, you know, um, good on Van Morrison, what a legend. And then Eric Clapton as well has, has done a really great thing. But where are the artists and where are the celebrities and where are the... Um, I just sh shows you how much um, we're lacking real art because we don't... Um, art's really important and having, um, like, expression of ideas and, like, even people see all, like, funky experimental art and cultists will go, oh, that's ugly, but actually... You know, if you think about it, what are, what are they trying to say to you? What What's their view of the world? And, you know, everyone's a critic nowadays, but they don't really appreciate that um, maybe the joke's on them, that if you sit around and, and, and watch a little bit. But I, I wonder about the art, art and particularly music world. I think it's so shit at the moment. I mean, um, where are they? Where are they all? I mean, uh, kudos to Tina Arena for and Lunig and... Also, yeah. I know Sam um, from the, the Bachelor slash Home and Away, she's come out bravely and said her piece. Um, 
and they're all hotties too, by the way, Paul. Like, yeah. notice all the candy bastards <laughs> are hotties. Oh, um, totally, yeah. Like, look at Nina see? in Germany. I mean, how old is she? And she's still hot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, like, um, you put Sam against Magda. I'll take Sam any day of the oh, week. Yeah. Um, I mean, Magda wouldn't have me anyway. But, but you know what I'm saying? So um, it's just uh, I think there's a real um, conformity in the arts. I think they've been also gutted as well. They have no money. So even a precarious life, they've got even more precarious. And probably people are appreciated as much as well and uh, and the like. But um. They you probably know, need I to think... go and study. Sorry, guys. I was just going to say they probably need to go and study with Hunter Biden to figure out how to make money from their art. <laughs> yeah, that's true. that's right. Well, I guess the channels of of communication have changed about. So if we like, you look at the '60s, '70s, what radio and records were probably like a, a really, really big thing culturally. Now it's more about social media and TikTok and Instagram and um, and others um, and. You know, I'm, I wonder, I, I'd be assuming, like, I, I think maybe just the nature of celebrity or, you know, expressions changed a little bit and it's not as rhythmical or, um, or melodic or something like that. But you've got some powerhouse dudes on Facebook um, or, or LinkedIn or elsewhere jumping on and kind of setting the tone. Um, but it is sad because, I mean, music's really important and um, it's, it's a shame. Like when, I think when, Van Morrison came with up with no more lockdowns. You'd expect like dozens and dozens of people to follow up and do things like that as well. But I don't know. Maybe yeah. people just don't want to hear that. No, well, they they the UK government did their very best to silence him and mocked him and all the rest. Of it. So the, I I imagine that uh, also the record labels who have been uh, towing the line the whole way as well start yeah. must have started to threaten people. I mean, okay, I'm I'm. I'm assuming right now, obviously, but you, know, you can just see it happening when you see all of the other coercion and, and, and uh, uh, harassing, harassment and bullying and uh, that's happening. Uh, you yeah. can just imagine that that would happen within the entertainment industry, which has been rife with scandal for a long time. I mean, geez, the, forget about having a 28, a list of 28 people, you know, influential people in Australia on a pedophile list, which has been suppressed for 90 years. Another one in South Australia with 80 people suppressed for 90 years and all the rest of it. You can, that, that industry is rife with sexual abuse and child abuse, all that sort of stuff. I mean, give yeah, me a break. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I mean, again, it might not be as obvious because maybe there's just more media around as well. But like someone this morning sent me the Let's Go Brandon um, um, video. Have you heard about this Let's Go Brandon thing? So, no, no, yet. A car race in the in the America. This is a story I've been told, and the whole crowd's singing "F F U Biden," and oh, yeah. the um and the announcer is saying, talking to some guy called Brandon, and oh, the crowd's saying, "Let's go, Brandon," and you know everyone can hear in the background <laughs> "F U Biden." So, some um classy rappers turn it into a song called <laughs> "Let's Go, Brandon" or something smart arsey, <laughs> and we've got that, but. You've got the that McDonald guy who's like, you know, kind of more of a, um, you know, talking about white trash and American people. And, but you've also had the, you know, rap for ages, like doing political stuff and, um, you know, uh, talking about all that kind of stuff. Um, so there are like countercultural movements. Like I love metal, so you've got heaps of metal people, um, you know, um, doing their thing. I guess it's just. Mm -hmm. It's more underground and not as kind of in your face, but I reckon it's probably still there a bit, and um, yeah. it's just expressed a little bit different. But love that let's go stuff. It's hysterical. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta look that one up. You know, when I was, I was brought up with uh, people like Red Gum, and they were just all about protest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Midnight yeah. Oil, all about protest, right? Um, well, how's Midnight Oil? Like I always think of that song, like. Um, stand in line, you know, everything's set, everything's fine, just got to stand in line. And everyone's like, yeah, be a non-conformist. And now yeah. whole generation, like, stand in line with their frigging face mask. And, yeah. You know, all that conformity is just incredible. But, you know, I I love the Sex Pistols. Though. I love um, uh, uh, John Lydon saying, you know, now he could never believe the right wing would be anti-establishment. But clearly it's not right wing. It's just a different... Um, version of of people getting together but um i think the world's changed a lot and um i think there's still anti-authoritarians around and i think it's just uh um 
important. I think now's the time that that's kind of gelling up again, which I'm really excited about. So hopefully we get some good art out of it. Yeah, I agree. Listen, mate, it's been fabulous having you here. Thank you so much. And I'd love to have you back and talk about some of the, the parallel society stuff in the near future if you'd be happy to come yeah, back. And totally. Also, I'd love to talk a bit about education and how disruptive it is because I think um, it's really exciting, like, what, what's going to happen and what's available to people now as well. So, But thank you, Paul. I mean, I love uh, your channel. I love what you're doing. You're obviously um, a leader in the field, and um, kudos to you. So thanks a lot. Thank you very much, mate. And uh, everybody, thank. Um, listen, if you have any questions for Brendan, um, you can find him on LinkedIn, Dr. Brendan Maloney. Very, he's the only one under that full title there. You can't miss him. Uh, otherwise, go to darlo.com. Uh, you can find him there, and uh, just reach out and connect and see if you know. Uh, you'd be more than happy, I'm sure, to uh, talk to about stuff. But most importantly, if you if you want to take your business into becoming an educational organization, or you know, you're like me and you have an educational initiative. Uh, then uh, Darlo is probably going to be, should be your first stop to find out how do you can go about doing that. Um, totally. And like, obligation too. Like if you just want to shoot the breeze and chat and have ideas, I'm very happy to share as well. So yeah, thanks yeah. for the Appreciate it. Yeah, this is not an infomercial for Darlo. If we're going to do that, we'll do a real <laughs> yeah, there's, there's steak knives as well. <laughs> great i'm in mate i'm in hey everyone if you haven't already uh, please uh click the uh, subscribe button and notification bell wherever you see this uh, mainunstream.com is best place to get the uh, latest and greatest and there's a new telegram channel coming very uh, well it's already there it just hasn't been connected to the site so thanks very much again for joining us and uh have a great day everybody we'll see you again soon take care now bye Renner. thank you mate cheers no worries